Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Louie and Jeanette are a couple in their 80s, and they have a 55-year-old son, Louis. Their son has dealt with severe mental challenges his entire life. Now, Louis and Jeanette, the parents, they are Christ followers, and they have raised Louis in the faith, and they've often wondered what he knows, what he understands about Jesus. Does he know Jesus? But their son only speaks an occasional short phrase or a few isolated words at a time, so there was really no way for them to know. About the time, though, that Lewis turned 50, an amazing thing happened. The three of them were together. They were traveling in a car when all of a sudden, without warning or prompting, Lewis began to speak. You know, Mom? You know, Dad? Jesus was born. Jesus died to save us from our sins. He rose again. Yes, he did. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the the thrill, the exhilaration of Louis and Jeanette upon hearing these words from their son after 50 plus years of almost no verbal communication? Uh, The words that we speak are such a vital part of who and what we are. Wyoming pastor Levi Lusco, in a recent book, wrote these words. On average, 16,000 words come out of our mouths every day. That adds up to a whopping 860.3 million words in an average lifetime. Wow. Words, words, and more words. What do, what do all of these words say about our life and the condition of our heart? This scripture that Pastor Andy just read, to us, in, uh, just read to us is all about the words that we speak, or more specifically, the words that we speak about Jesus. Disciple Matthew, who's the author of this book, his goal was to convince his Jewish readers and his 21st century readers that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Christ, the one true God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. So so this scripture opens with Jesus leaving the area where he had been teaching and healing because the Pharisees were plotting to kill him. And many people followed him as he traveled. He would stop and speak and heal folk. And then he did an interesting thing. He, he warned people not to tell who he was. Why did he do that, do you suppose? Maybe it was because he had much work to do before the cross took him to its arms. Or maybe he didn't want to be surrounded with publicity, thus attracting people who were only thrill seekers, those who were just hangers on. Well, the next 12 verses are Matthew's attempt to tell us who Jesus is, and I believe their, their words 
about Jesus that demand a response, not only from his first century audience, but I believe these are words that demand a a response, a verbal response from us. So I want you to notice the first words that we're going to look at are Isaiah's words. And uh, Isaiah's words about Jesus, and they are, I'm just calling them, they're words of identification. The words are before you. Look at my servant who I've chosen, writes Isaiah. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of the world. Now, there's no question there. Isaiah identifies Jesus as the hope of the world. Now, the next words I want us to notice in this scripture passage uh, are the words from the crowd, the crowd who had been listening and following and watching as Jesus taught and healed folk. And the the crowd's words about Jesus, I'm simply calling them words of speculation. They don't know quite what to think. We read verse 23, the crowd was amazed and asked, could it be? Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Isaiah might have been sure who Jesus was, but the crowd certainly was not. They were wondering, they were hoping, is he the one? Oh, I hope he's the one we've been looking for. Well, the next words I want us to notice there are the Pharisees' words. And these are words of opposition. Really, they're terrible words. They're awful words. They saw the same evidence that the crowd saw. They heard Jesus' words. They saw him heal folk. And yet they said, verse 24, it's before you there, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. These words make every true believer shudder. so, So atrocious are these words. Now the next words we read are Jesus' words about himself. And for the Pharisees, they're words of condemnation. If I could paraphrase... Jesus' words to the Pharisees found there in that scripture, verses 25 to 32, I would put it like this. Be careful, guys. Watch your words. You're playing with fire, the eternal kind. And it is a very dangerous thing, Jesus is saying, it's a very dangerous thing to know who I truly am and deny it. Yet in the middle of these scathing words for the Pharisees, Jesus' words about himself for the crowd are words of confirmation. It's what they were desperately longing to hear. Verse 28 says, If I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. What wonderful words for this crowd. But did you notice, as I was going through the different characters of the story, that I missed someone? Several characters here, Isaiah first, and then 
we see what the crowds had to say, and then the Pharisees had to say about Jesus, and then Jesus' only words, but I missed someone. And if you'll notice in verse 22, Matthew tells us this, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus, and he healed the man so he could both speak and see. I don't know about you, but when I read that, uh, I thought, I, I want to, I want to, what I want to know is this. What did that man, up to now, had been speechless, had never spoken a word in his life, what did he have to say about Jesus? Tell us, Matthew. That's what I'm thinking. I really want to know, what did he say? But if you noticed, when the passage was read, according to the passage, he didn't say anything. Matthew records the event, and yet not one single word that this man said. Now hear me, I think Matthew did that intentionally. Matthew tells us what Isaiah had to say about Jesus, and what the crowd said, and the Pharisees said, and what Jesus said about himself, but he wants us to speculate as to what this man might have said. Now can you imagine the words that, his first words that he ever spoke, the words that came out of his mouth, words of praise, thanksgiving, adoration. But you know what? Further than that, I think what Matthew really wants to know is what his first century readers have to say about Jesus. And he wants to know, what do you say? And that's my question for you today. I'm not asking you today, what do you think I'm not even asking you today, what do you believe, but what do you say? After rebuking these obstinate Pharisees, he turns his attention to the crowd, and he turns his attention to this crowd and asks, what do you say? You see, Jesus' ministry has become increasingly controversial. The cross looms now on the horizon, and Jesus is saying to them and to us, it's time to speak up about where you stand. Are you with me? Pastor and author Gordon MacDonald puts it this way. When the crowd got too large, Jesus would inevitably sharpen the blade of his teaching. He would make it clear that there was a dramatic cost to discipleship. It was almost as if he were saying, the size of this crowd suggests that you haven't heard me plainly enough or some of you wouldn't be here, so let me give it to you another way. And then when Jesus finished restating his message, many would then leave because they finally understood that no one can remain in the presence of Christ and merely be a very nice person. No one can remain in the presence of Christ and merely be a sort of follower. And so back to my question for you today, what do you say? And as you consider answering that question today, I want you to notice what Jesus has to say about what we say and here it is, four things I want to share with you. And here's the first. Jesus is saying to us that we need to speak decisively. Choose a side. 
and I take you to verse 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And Jesus is making it clear here that there's no neutral ground when it comes to following him. No middle ground. So he's saying to them, speak up. He's insisting that it's not simply following me, Jesus said. It's not simply some inner decision that you make in your head. But no one knows. He's saying, choose, speak up, and let it be known. Paul the Apostle, when writing to the church at Rome, made this same strong emphasis. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and verse 10 reads this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by, the caps here are mine, it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You must decide, Jesus is saying. You must not only decide, he's saying you must speak up, speak decisively. Old Testament character Joshua, who lived 1,400 years before Christ, took over the leadership of the children of Israel from Moses. He gathered all the children of Israel before him, and he said to them, Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my family, said Joshua, we will serve the Lord. Now what he didn't say was, I want you to go home and, and think over these next days and weeks about making a decision. Just take your time, do it at your leisure, and let me know by the end of next month if that's appropriate for you. That isn't what he said. He said, choose today, speak, speak up now. And the people spoke up and said, we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. What do you say? Homer finally worked up the courage to propose to the girl of his dreams. Dropping to one knee, he looked at his beloved in the eye and said, Sue, I know I'm not wealthy like Tom. I recognize that I'm not handsome like Tom. I may not be as well educated as Tom, but Sue, I love you. Sue was obviously moved, and she responded sincerely, Why, I love you too, Homer, but tell me a little more about Tom. <laughs> what do you say? Are you all in? Wilbur Rees speaks of many Christ followers' reluctance to go all in when he penned these words. I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy just three dollars worth of God, please. Hear me today. This call to commit, to follow Jesus, 
is a call to commit totally, to be all in and say so. And that's tough in this fence-sitting world. You see, God is not interested in partial investments. He's not interested in divided loyalties. God is not content as long as we're spending time and money on him on Sundays, even if we're hanging out with Tom the rest of the week. Pastor Dan Meyer says it so well when he wrote, We want good friendships and marriages, but we avoid facing the problems and sin that keep them from being great relationships. We want our kids to be spiritually vital, but also on the traveling sports teams on the weekends. We want a sane, healthy life, but also one packed with all the possessions and pace of success. Jesus is saying here in this passage, are you in? Are you all in? And urging us to speak decisively. Speak up, he's saying. Choose a side. Let it be known. Number two, what Jesus is saying, as we consider the answer to this question, what do you say? Jesus is saying, speak carefully. Be careful what you say. And I take you to verse 31. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or the world to come. Now those verses I just read have, been, have troubled Bible scholars and casual Bible readers for 2,000 years. But the simplest interpretation, it seems to me, would be simply this. If one speaks a word against a man, it can be forgiven. But if one speaks against the Holy Spirit of God, fully realizing who he is, you've gone too far, even beyond the hope of redemption. Through my years of pastoral ministry, I have occasionally counseled with those who fear that they have committed this unpardonable sin. Hear this today. If you're concerned that you have, then you haven't. Because if you had, you would have not the least concern about it. So here Jesus is saying, speak carefully. Be careful what you say. The Pharisees who thought they were they thought they were God's chosen ones, and yet they couldn't have been any further from God than what they were. To say that he was demon-possessed, and no better, horrible words. Verse 24, they are saying he gets his power from Satan. It makes me cringe even to read those words. We used to sing a, a song in children's church. Some of you, anywhere close to my age, would remember this. Oh, oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. There's a father up above who's looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. It's been about two weeks since Willow Ann and I were watching a comedy on TV. It seemed like a wholesome, fun plot about a guy who experienced identity theft 
Not sure how they made a comedy out of that. That's not very funny. We were about 20 minutes into this movie when the main actress, in a moment of frustration, shouted, and there was no other dialogue on either side of what she said, but I can't, I can't say what she said, but she said his name. She used, she used that name that is above every name, casually, carelessly, disrespectfully. Now, I'd heard it many times before, and you do, maybe some of you hear it, his name used like that every day. But this time, as we sat there watching, just looking for a little entertainment, it, it hit me right in the heart. I would say it even shocked us, and that was the end of that movie. We just refused to watch the rest of it. Now, most of us, most under the sound of my voice here, those of you with me online, would maybe you would never speak Jesus' name like that. I hope not. We speak carefully. But sometimes I wonder this. If we haven't become so desensitized, so galvanized of the careless, disrespectful words spoken by others about Jesus, I wonder. The same children's chorus I mentioned just moments ago also says, Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Friends, this name of Jesus is the name above all names. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. Jesus, the scripture says, at this name, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Speak carefully. Oh, be careful what you say. Speak decisively. Speak carefully. Here's the third thing. There are four. Jesus is also urging us to, to get specific, to, to speak specifically. And he reminds us in this passage that good words come from a good heart. And I take you back to the word. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, the fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. Here he's talking to those Pharisees. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Let me take you to that one sentence right in the middle of that passage which reads, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Well then doesn't it follow if Jesus is in your heart, you'll say so? You'll speak specifically? I pastored Yarmouth Wesleyan Church for 21 years, and, and these past few days as I was preparing this message, I've been reflecting on the many people under my care during those years, and so faces, faces 
have been passing before my mind's eye these past days, and in particular, faces of a few men in the church there. They attended the church regularly. I interacted with them socially. They were believers, I assumed. But when, when I pressed them, as Pastor Brent did so well this morning, when I pressed them to be baptized, which of course involves speaking up, speaking decisively, speaking specifically, and saying those words, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I saw them waffle, and I saw them hesitate. When I talked to them, they were talking church was so easy for them to talk. They could talk faith. They could talk the vague God talk, but I never heard them one time. Say the name Jesus. Now I hesitate. I, I should add here that I know I'm not the judge of these men. I'm just wondering. So when I read this scripture, as I was studying this scripture this week, I wondered this. If Jesus was in their heart, wouldn't they say so? Wouldn't they want to say so? Could they help but say so, is what I've been wondering. One of those men, his name was Nathan. I met him 40 years ago. I remember the, the first serious conversation we had. I even remember where we were. It was in January of 1984. And, and as we talked, I could see the interest. No, I could see more than that. I could see the hunger in his eyes when he said to me, oh, John, that's a big commitment, and I'm thinking about it. And over the years, we've had so many similar conversations to that one in 84. Then last August, I was invited back to Yarmouth to speak on a Sunday, and Nathan was there. Two days later, before I left town, I dropped by his home, and my heart jumped when I understood him to say that he was now a believer. But my heart sunk when I pressed him to let it be known, to speak up, and follow the Scripture's command to repent and be baptized, and he paused, and he said, well, I'm not quite ready for that yet. He'll be 90 this year. I grew up in a church where if you were going to follow Jesus, you didn't have much of a choice on this speaking up thing. We had a, what we called a prayer meeting, but it was half testimony. Every Tuesday night, every person present in the building, maybe this wasn't so bad a practice, Every Tuesday night, every person present, if there were 30, all 30 were expected to stand and give a brief word about Jesus. Old Bill Arnold, I call him old, he's probably younger than I am now, <laughs> 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 he, 
He always stood up and he always said the same thing week after week. He said, Bill would say, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and I'm saying so now. He sat down. <laughs> what do you say? Speak. And when you speak specifically, say his name if you know him. Good words flow from a good heart. Is your heart right? Well, here's the fourth and last thing that Jesus presses on us here. He said, you need to speak knowingly. Speak knowingly. Your words are more important, Jesus is insisting here, more important than you realize. Your words that you speak are more important than you, than you know. Well, let's read his words. Jesus is saying, know this, verse 36, I tell you this, you're, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Now those are sobering words. Here are some other words that should often be on the lips, your lips and mine. found myself praying this this morning downstairs in the prayer room. It's found in the Old Testament book of Psalms. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That speaks to something that the author of the psalm knew so very well. Your words are so important. Your words are more important than you know. So what do you say? Poet Edford Sanford Martin was one of those fence sitters. And he speaks of the conflict within himself when confronted with the question I have before you today, what do you say? And he penned these words. Within my earthly temple there's a crowd. There's one of us that's humble and one that's proud. There's one that's broken hearted for his sins, and there's one who's unrepentant, sits and grins. There's one who loves his neighbor as himself, and one who cares for naught but fame and self. From much corroding care would I be free if once I could determine which is me. So what do you say? I'm no doubt speaking today to some fence-sitters isn't it time? Isn't it time to get off the fence and choose and choose a side and speak up? I'm speaking to some, I'm sure, who have been admiring Jesus from the fringe of the crowd like so many of those people that day. Just along for the herd he fed 5,000 a few days before, maybe he'll feed the crowd again. Maybe you've been admiring Jesus from the fringe of the crowd. Isn't it time? Isn't it time to come up close? Isn't it time to commit to be an all-in follower? I'm speaking to some today. You are one of the 55. One of the 55 people all across the King's Church campuses who made the commitment to follow Jesus Christ last weekend. Isn't that awesome? You're one of the 55 who, who decided to follow Jesus and it's time to openly declare your faith. It's time to be baptized. 
And some of you have been a faithful Christ follower, maybe for years, but it's a rare thing. It's a rare thing for you ever to speak his name out loud. Jesus. It's time, isn't it, to speak his name? You ever say his name at home? In the community, as you're traveling in the car, in the workplace? Maybe if you spoke up, you'd shock your family just as Lewis did all those years ago. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing for your family to hear you say, you know, Jesus was born, Jesus died, he died to save us from our sins, and he rose again? Yes, he did. Powerful. So what do you say? Would you stand, please? I want you to answer me this morning when I ask you, what do you say? You'll see the words before you. Isaiah said, his name will be the hope of all the world. What do you say? Say it with me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Answer in full voice, please. The crowd said, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? What do you say? Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What do you say? Jesus, Jesus is and I will serve him all my days. Just seven days ago, all of Christendom, all over the world, declared for all the world to hear that the Lord is risen. What do you say? The Lord is risen indeed. God bless you. Speak out for him.